podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block, allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable, hosted by Kevin DeVries, on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast. Today is Thursday. It is the 9th of November. Hope you're all well. Hope you're all having a pleasant day. If you're a Manchester United fan, you're not having a pleasant day, are you? The comedy continues with Manchester United. Beaten last night 4-3 by Copenhagen. And looking like a team who may not even get themselves into the Europa League from this Champions League group. So, last night in Copenhagen, they go 2-0 up. Rasmus Hoysland with a tap-in after good work down the right involving Fernandez, Rashford, Wan-Bissaka and McTominay. Simple ball across and a tap-in for Hoyland. Hoysland, Hoyland. 28 minutes, Bruno wins the ball back in midfield, plays in Garnacho. His shot is saved by Camille Grabara. 
Hoysland runs, runs onto it and taps home from two yards out. 2 0 to United, they're flying. Everything's going really, really well. They're going to win the game. And then Marcus Rashford gets sent off. Now, the red card is, I think, a little bit harsh. I do think it's harsh. He's not trying to make a challenge. He has the ball. He's trying to protect the ball. The issue is he does put his foot out an unnatural distance to try and make himself as big as possible to create create a shield between the ball and the defender. And he comes down on the defender above the ankle. It's harsh, but I can see why it's given. But it is harsh. From there, United are the masters of their own demise. Some comedy defending gives El Yanusi the chance at the back post, and he finishes well. Uh, Juan Bissaka, what are you doing? For all his ability as a 1v1 defender, he is hopeless everywhere else. As a back post defender, as a sweeping defender, he's just not good. He's really good 1v1. Really, really good 1v1, but he hasn't learned the other sides of his job. And that's why he's never going to get an England cap. Because despite the fact that you could argue he's the best 1v1 fullback in world football. But then the other side of it makes him a liability. And it's a shame, especially for United, because they paid 50 million for him. That's on 45 minutes. It's 2-1. Because of the red card and other shenanigans, there are 13 minutes of stoppage time in the first half. And nine minutes into those 13, a ball is played into the United box and it's handled not once, but twice by Raphael Varane. And then it bobbles across or bounces across to Maguire, who also handles it. And a penalty is given. Up steps Concalves and he finishes with a plum. 2-2 at half time. United devastated because... Everything had been going so well for them. Second half, I thought United actually gave a good account of themselves up until they scored. They get a penalty on the 69th minute. It's a nonsense penalty. It's never a penalty in a million years. Cross comes in. Slabhead tries to head it back. There's a defender's arm less than a foot from him. Like, not even... Not even a foot from him. It hits the defender's arm and on review a penalty is given. It's never a penalty, ever. But Fernandez steps up and puts it home. And it looks like United might actually win because Copenhagen just can't get that final ball right until they do. 83 minutes, simple cross in. Larager makes... Diogo Delo looks so weak and so poor, finishes really well at the back post. So you think, okay, they're going to get out of here with a draw, which will leave them level on points with Galatasaray. And if they can go to Turkey and win, then they might well get through because Galatasaray would have Copenhagen in Copenhagen as their final game, which, as we've seen, not easy. United have lost there. Bayern 
struggled to beat them and didn't really deserve to beat them. So there's no reason to think Galatasaray will go there and win. But then 87 minutes, it's just more comedy defending, unable to clear their lines. By the way, that third goal, it all comes from Maguire lashing a pass in at Rafa Varane across the face of his own goal, giving Varane very little to do with the ball, very little chance of actually being able to take it under control and progress. Varane gives it away cheaply. It works back round, the cross comes in and they score. Uh, This fourth goal, again, it's just clear your lines. Clear your lines. Cross comes in. (coughs) It's half dealt with. It bounces to Rooney Bargki. Bargki, I think, is the pronunciation. And it is a fantastic finish. It is genuinely a fantastic finish from the 17-year-old who apparently is like the most exciting Swiss prospect around right now. uh, Swedish prospect, I should say. Born in Kuwait. Grew grew up in Sweden. Was in the Malmo Academy. Copenhagen nicked him. He's played 57 games already at 17 in the senior team. Now he turns 18 next week. This season, he has scored 10 goals in 23 games. That's really impressive because he's not a striker. He's like an attacking midfielder. But the way he took that goal, the technique is fantastic. Striking it down, getting spin and speed off the ball as it comes up on the bounce, gave Onana no chance. And to Onana's defence, he didn't really have a chance at any of these goals last night. United's defending was just so poor. So United lose 4-3. Second time in this group that they've lost 4-3. They've lost both away games 4-3. They have three points. They've conceded nine goals. Sorry, they've conceded 11 goals. Despite scoring nine, only Bayern have scored more than them. Bayern have scored 11. Bayern have 12 points. And four wins. United have nine goals and one win and three defeats. And now they have to go to Galatasaray and win. And then they need to hope that Copenhagen don't beat Galatasaray in the final game. If Galatasaray beat United, they can't qualify for the Champions League knockout phase. If Copenhagen were to then get a positive result, again, a win against Galatasaray, United couldn't even finish third, even if they somehow beat Bayern, which they might because you'd assume that Bayern, who are now qualified and will be group winners, will rest players in the next two games. I mean, does that play into Copenhagen's hands, though? Could Copenhagen beat Bayern in the next game? If so, if they win that, then even if United beat Galatasaray, they could still find themselves finishing bottom of the group. United have to really win both games. That's the be-all and end-all here. They're going to have to win both games. They're going to have to beat Galatasaray away and then they're going to have to beat United or beat Bayern at home. 
And I don't fancy them to do either of those things. I think they'll lose in Turkey. And I think they'll lose at home. And I think it will be quite an embarrassing um, exit from the competition. In the other game last night, Bayern beat Galatasaray uh, 2-1. Bayern had some really good chances in the game, but couldn't score until the 80th minute when Harry Kane headed home Joshua Kimmich's uh, free kick. Kane doubled the lead on 86. But Kumbu did get one back on 93, but Galatasaray couldn't find the equaliser in the remaining minutes. Bayern deserved the win. Bayern have been the best team in this group. It's not up for debate. But it does leave it really interesting. With Bayern through, what do they do in their last two games? Do they just go with basically reserve teams? Do they try to play it out and get a perfect group stage? Would they be open to you know resting players against Copenhagen? But then because it's Manchester United, maybe they go full strength against United and try and lay down a bit of a marker. Galatasaray United, Bayern Copenhagen on the 29th of November. United, Bayern Copenhagen, Galatasaray on the 12th of December. I don't think United are getting out of this group. I think they need to win both games to get out of this group. That would get them to nine points. Because seven won't be enough. I think Copenhagen could well beat Bayern if Bayern don't go full strength. Copenhagen have been so good. Like, they should have beaten United at Old Trafford. They were very unfortunate not to beat Bayern in Copenhagen. And they were really, really unfortunate not to beat Galatasaray in Istanbul. They were 2-0 up with five minutes left. They've been really unfortunate with late goals. I think Copenhagen could get out of this group. I thought initially Bayern, and I went with Galatasaray. I think Copenhagen might be the team that gets out of the group. I think Galatasaray, I think, beat United. It wouldn't surprise me if Copenhagen even got a draw in Munich. And then that all comes down then to Copenhagen versus Galatasaray in that final game. It's in Copenhagen. I think they'll win. That would give them eight points. Even if they lose to Bayern and Galatasaray beat United, Copenhagen can still go through by beating Galatasaray because they'd have the head-to-head after the draw in the first game. It's a really interesting group. Uh, Not so interesting is Group B, uh, where Arsenal beat Sevilla 2-0, Trossard and Saka scored. And PSV beat Len Alons uh, 1-0 with a goal from Luke de Jong. Um, PSV go from bottom of the group to second. Arsenal are top, obviously, nine points. They're cruising through. It's a weak group. They're cruising through. But now second becomes interesting. Next round, we get Sevilla versus PSV and Arsenal versus Lons. And then we get Lons versus Sevilla and PSV versus Arsenal. And Arsenal will likely be through. So they might rest players in that final game. Sevilla are definitely the worst team in the group. There's no doubt there. Um, 
I think PSV might might just get their way through. Uh, in Group C, Real Madrid 3, Braga 0, Brahim Diaz, Vinicius Jr. and Rodrigo with the goals. They top the group with 12 points. Napoli are second with seven after a draw last night, a disappointing draw with Union Berlin. Uh, Politano put them one up on 39 minutes. David Datrofafana in on loan from Chelsea equalised on 52. So Real with 12, Napoli with seven, Braga with three, Berlin with one. That was that ended a 12-match losing run for Berlin. That's shocking, really. They've got Leverkusen at the weekend. That's going to be real tough as well. I want them to turn it around. I want them to get back on track because I love the story around the club. I think the manager's done a phenomenal job. And I worry that if they were to lose against Leverkusen, especially if they were to lose heavily, they might use that international break to replace him, which would be a shame because every season he's made them better. This is the first season where there's been a drop-off. And it's been a significant drop-off. But, I mean, it's still only November. There's no reason he can't turn it around and have them maybe in the Conference League. He won't get them back into the Champions League, but, you know, Conference League's not out of the question. Uh, Real Napoli in the next round, Braga versus Berlin, then Napoli versus Braga. That game will probably decide who finishes second because I think Real will beat Napoli. I think Braga will beat Berlin. So that will put Braga on six points, meaning if they could beat Napoli, they would go through. Um, Berlin at home to Real in the final game then. In Group D, Real Sociedad three, Benfica one, Marino, Oyarzabal and Brancia with the goals. Rafa Silva got one back for Benfica in the second half, but it was all over. Um in the other game, then Red Bull Salzburg nil. Inter Milan won a late Latura Martinez penalty. The difference between the sides. Red Bull will feel a little bit unfortunate there, but Real Sociedad and Inter Milan are both through. Red Bull are currently in third. They're three points ahead of Benfica in the hunt for that Europa League spot. Next round of games: Benfica home to Inter Milan, Real Sociedad home to Red Bull Salzburg. And then the final games will decide probably everything. So Inter against Real Sociedad will decide who tops the group. They drew the first game between these teams. They have the same amount of points. I expect both of them to win the next games. So they go into that final one with 13 points each. And Real Sociedad would be top based on goals scored because they've got the same goal difference, or they've got the same goals conceded. So it would be Real Sociedad with the, with the goal difference advantage there. A draw would suit them. They'd be quite happy. But in the other game, then, Red Bull Salzburg against Benfica. Benfica would need to win 3-0 to go through uh, after Red Bull beat them 2-0 in Lisbon. So that seems unlikely. It seems unlikely that Benfica will be playing European football after Christmas. Uh, We've got loads of football tonight in Group A of the Europa League. It is Freiburg against TSC Bacatapola. It is West Ham against Olympiacos. Now, obviously, Olympiacos beat West Ham last time out. The Hammers will be looking for revenge and also looking to get their season back, moving in the right direction. 
because it's four defeats in five, which is really disappointing having made a good start. In Group B, Ajax versus Brighton. Should be a good game. Brighton beat Ajax 2-0 last time out. Ajax are a mess, so Brighton should have the advantage there. AK Athens versus Marseille in the other game. Marseille won 3-1 last week. I think AEK will beat them in in Greece. I think they will beat them. In Group C, Real Betis versus Aris Limassol and Rangers versus Sparta Prague. Sparta and Rangers played at a 0-0 last week. Aris lost 1-0 to Betis. I expect both home teams to win here. Uh, I think Rangers have looked a little bit better since the change of manager. Uh, Group D, Atalanta versus Sturm Graz and Sporting versus Rakow. Atalanta and Sporting should advance from this group. But don't rule out Sturm Graz. They're playing quite well and they've got they've got four points on the board, same as, as Sporting. In Group E, <laughs> these are the early kickoffs. Uh, Lask versus Union St. Gilles, St. Gilloa. Uh, Toulouse versus Liverpool. Liverpool beat Toulouse 5-1, Union beat Lask 2-1 in the last games. I think Lask could get something here. I think Liverpool will will win uh, quite comfortably because they're just a significantly better team. Uh, Group F, also early kickoffs. Wren versus Panikonithos. And Maccabee Haifa versus Villarreal. That game is taking place in Cyprus, in Larnaca. Um, they did not play last week. That game has been rescheduled. Um, it's been rescheduled for the 6th of December. So that one should be interesting. Um, Ren beat Panikonitis 2-1 last time out. Ren are top, Panikonitis second. I think Panikonitis might bounce back tonight and uh, and get a, a, maybe a draw. In Group G, Servette take on Sheriff Tiraspol and Slavia Prague host Roma. Roma beat Slavia 2-0 last week. Sheriff and Servette played at a 1-1 draw. Group H gives us Quarabeg versus Bayer Leverkusen. Leverkusen beat them 5-1 last week. And Hacken versus Molde. And Molde beat them 5-1 last week. Uh, Quarabeg, though, like they're second in the group. Molde had lost both games prior to last week. So... It was a bit of an upset to see them put, not an upset, but a bit of a shock to see them put in such a comprehensive win. But Leverkusen are, without question, the class of that group and the team to watch coming out of that group. In the Europa Conference League, in Group A, we get Slovan Bratislava versus Lille. Lille beat Slovan 2-1 last week. And Olympia Luzlana at home to my Faro friends, uh, the Pharaohs beat them 3-0 last week, so they'll go there confident. They should go there confident anyway. Uh, Lille looked the best team in the group, but you never know. Ghent will take on Bryoblik in Iceland tonight, and Zoria Lahansk host Maccabee Tel Aviv. Maccabee obviously going to have to have some games rescheduled as well or, or rearranged for different stadiums different countries because of what's going on. Um, 
Ghent beat Braubeck 5-0 last week, and I would expect them to win quite comfortably tonight. That is... That's a strange group. It is a strange group. Because uh, I don't... I've, I've watched Zoria play twice, and I didn't think they're any good. But they've got four points in second. Um, Victoria Plison, top group C, and tonight they will host Dinamo Zagreb, who are currently second. Last time out, they beat them 1-0 in Zagreb. In the other game, Astana host Balkany. Astana beat Balkany 2-1 in the last game. In Group D, Besiktas host Bodo Glimt. Bodo beat them 3-1 last week. And Club Bruges host Lugano. And Bruges also won 3-1 last week, though they were away. Um, Legia Warsaw versus Zrinski Mostar. Legia won 2-1 last week. And Aston Villa against AZ Alkmaar. This is obviously in Group E. Villa won 4-1 last week, and I, I expect a heavy win tonight as well. Uh, a win here for Villa and a win for Legia, that should pretty much guarantee them their passage to the next round. In Group F, Fiorentina are currently top, though Ferencvaros and Genk have the same number of points. Uh, Fiorentina are away to Kukuriki, who are bottom. Ferencvaros host Genk. They played a nil-nil out last week while Fiorentina were battering Kukuriki 6-0. In Group G, it is PAOK at home to Aberdeen. PAOK beat Aberdeen in Aberdeen uh, 3-2 last week. Eintracht Frankfurt are in Helsinki to play HJK. They beat them 6-0 last week. I think they'll win comfortably again tonight. In Group H, then, <coughs> our final group, Fenerbahce currently top, Nordlzian second. Nordlzian play Spartak Tanava tonight. They beat them 3-0, sorry, 2-0 last week. And Ludogorets host Fenerbahce. Fenerbahce beat them 3-1 last time out. So, lots of good games. Good games in both competitions, I think. Uh, I think the villa Azad Altmar game might be one to watch. Uh, because Villa, I think, will look for a response after the disappointing result at the weekend. Um, we have some breaking news. The England and Ireland squads have just been announced. So let's have a look and see what Gareth Southgate has gotten wrong. Um, let's see now. So, goalkeepers, Sam Johnston, okay, Jordan Pickford, expected, Aaron Ramsdale, can't get in the Arsenal team, but there he is in the England squad, no Nick Pope, again, for whatever reason. Um, The defenders are a travesty. Kyle Walker's having a good season, Trippier's having a good season, Tamori's having a good season, and Gwehi's having a good season. Harry Maguire is not having a good season. Hasn't had a good season in about four years. Lewis Dunk is not having a good season. And there will be a conversation needed quite soon about Lewis Dunk. Because he is declining rapidly. And he's about to turn 32. And Brighton may well need to look for a new centre-back to replace him. Because he has been really poor this season. And Levi Colwell who's not playing well for Chelsea. Now, it's not his fault because Chelsea are a dumpster fire, but still, that is just bizarre. 
no left backs in the squad. Apparently, there just isn't any. I suppose Caldwell, uh, Caldwell will probably play there. Uh, Trippier probably starts there. Uh, in midfield, he's included Trent Alexander-Arnold as a midfielder. Trent isn't having a particularly good season. He's included Jude. Uh, Jude is playing out of his skin. Here's an interesting little fact. Jude Bellingham, who is 20 years of age, uh, just turned 20 in the summer, has 27 caps for England. Okay? And only moved to Dortmund and started playing top-level football in 2020, having obviously played in the championship before that. Trent Alexander-Arnold has been an automatic starter for Liverpool since the 2017-18 season when he beat out Joe Gomez for that role. He's only got 21 caps. He's 25. That is a shambles from Gareth Southgate. Uh, Conor Gallagher is in the squad. Conor Gallagher has 10 caps, despite, you know, being called Conor Gallagher. He's playing well, though, relatively speaking. Uh, Jordan Henderson, who's not playing well in the Saudi Pro League, he's good against the draws. Against any of the good teams, he's been fairly dreadful. Uh, but again, he's playing in Saudi Arabia, and somehow he's in the squad. Calvin Phillips, who can't get a game at City, is in the squad. Declan Rice, obviously, is an automatic pick. Uh, Jared Bowen, fair enough. Phil Foden, fair enough. Jack Grealish is not playing well this season and isn't a first-choice starter for City. Now that Doku's there. Harry Kane, obvious. James Madison, having a great season, but he's injured, so I'm not sure why he's in the squad. Uh, Marcus Rashford has been dreadful this season. He's in the squad. Bakayo Saka, fair enough. Ollie Watkins, fair enough. And Callum Wilson, fair enough. So, You've picked three number nines and no left backs. That's what Gareth Southgate has done. Um, There's always issues. Raheem Sterling left out. Raheem Sterling has been one of the lone bright spots for Chelsea, and yet he can't can't get in the squad. It's, It's such a joke. It's a joke that he can't get in the squad. You've got Rashford in there who's genuinely been really poor this year and no Raheem Sterling. Uh, The Republic of Ireland have also named the squad. Um, Seamus Coleman's been left out. Not surprised. He hasn't played in months. He's played, I think, for the the second string at Everton, but he's not played for the the first-choice team. Um, Sammy Smodic is not included, which is very, very annoying because he's playing... Really, really well. He's got nine goals for Blackburn this season. I don't understand why he's not in the squad. I genuinely don't. Uh, goalkeepers, Basunu, fair. Kelleher, fair, but I mean, I'd prefer if we didn't have to call up a goalkeeper who doesn't get his game at club level. Um, Mark Travers has been called up. Now, Mark Travers was playing well for Stoke on loan, and Bournemouth have now recalled him because of the injury to Neto, which is a blow for him and a blow for his development. Defensively, Matt Doherty doesn't get a start for Wolves. Uh, Festi Obiselli, delighted to see him in. Ryan Manning, not a huge fan, but fair enough. Um, Liam Scales, Shane Duffy, 
okay. Nathan Collins is in. He's playing well for Brentford. Darrow O'Shea is in. He's had a tough, se- tough season so far for Burnley. And Andrew Omabamadeli is in, despite the fact that he has missed, I think, all of the season so far. I don't think he's played at all, has he? Um, I really like him as a defender, and I'm really happy to see him in the squad. But I don't think he's played this season. I was wrong. He's actually played played 18 minutes in the championship before he got his move. And he's played two EFL Cup games. I assume one of them was for Norwich. No, both of them were for Norwich. He played in the first and second round of the EFL Cup for Norwich against QPR and Bristol. He hasn't kicked a ball since joining Forrest because he's been injured. Um, So I don't really agree with calling him up to the squad, but I am happy to see him in and around the the picture because I do think him, Collins and Festy are going to be long-term fixtures. Um, Midfield, Josh Cullen, fair. Jason Malumby, fair. Alan Brown, Will Smallbone, Jason Knight, great. Jamie McGrath and Mark Sykes. And then in attack, Evan Ferguson, obviously. Adam Aday, good. Callum Robinson, good. Chidozi Ogbena, good. Mikey Johnson's an interesting one. And Troy Parrott in as well. Um, I say Mikey Johnson's an interesting one just because he hasn't really made the grade at Celtic. Ange gave him plenty of opportunity. He didn't quite perform well enough. Now, he's supposedly done really well on a loan last season in Portugal with Vitoria. And this season, he's not he's not playing. He's just not playing. He's played 25 minutes this season for Celtic. He's not in the squad most weeks, and I don't think he's injured because he's been on the bench for Champions League games and then not in the squad for the league game. He got 25 minutes off the bench against Hibs. I don't know. I, I Look, it's Ireland, so it's not like we're absolutely chock full of talent, but I do think there's some questionable selections there by by Stephen Kenny, who's obviously under quite a lot of pressure because the results just haven't been good enough. Um, who else maybe could have gotten called up? I think John Egan is injured. Uh, I wouldn't have been against bringing in to Stevens. Smozic should be in should be in the squad. He absolutely should be. Uh, Jack Taylor's playing pretty well. So I wouldn't have been against him. Uh, don't know him. Robbie Brady, no, you're okay. Tom Cannon, I would have liked to see him called up because I think we need to try and secure him. Uh, there is the possibility that England could still nick him because he was born in England. Uh, Sinclair Armstrong, I would have liked to have seen called into the squad. Um I've, from what I've seen of QPR this season, which isn't a whole lot, admittedly, uh, he has been decent. So wouldn't have minded seeing him being given an opportunity. You've obviously got a 21 squad that has quite a bit of talent in it as well. 
Uh, young Sam Curtis, maybe too early for him. Bassoon Luau, I mean, he's, he's playing fairly well uh, on loan at Fleetwood, on loan from Celtic. Um, James Abankwa, I don't know how he's doing at Charlton. I must actually check in and see how he's doing at Charlton, but he's one that a lot of people are very, very high on. I think he could be a long-term fixture as well. A Bankwa, Collins, and Omabamadeli maybe as a three, with Festy as a wing-back, and then the other wing-back spot is a little bit tough. Maybe Teo Adaramola gets back on track, seems to have lost his way a little bit, but he's probably the... He's probably the one to be the long-term left wing back if if that's the route that they go. Uh, Connor O'Reardon's another interesting one. He's playing for Crew. I haven't seen James Furlong. I must I must admit, he was uh, at Brighton and joined Hull in the summer. I don't know. I don't know if he's played a lot. Let me have a quick look. Abankwa has only played a couple of games for Charlton, three thus far. So I do want to check in and see see how he's getting on. Uh, James Furlong hasn't played yet for Hull, so yeah, not, not one you're going to call up for the national team. Um, so yeah, that is the latest international team news. Uh, the Women's FA Cup prize fund has been doubled to £6 million. So that's really good. More money in women's football it will never be a bad thing. Um, it's out of control, as United fans cry about VAR again. Look, United are having a deplorable season. But the thing is, it should be worse. Like, it should be worse. You've lost 9 of 17. But just to once again hammer this home, you were outplayed comprehensively by Wolves and got very, very lucky. You should not have won that game. A draw would have been the the least Wolves deserved for completely outplaying you in that game. So you should have lost there. You did lose to Spurs, and you deserve to lose to Spurs. You were very, very fortunate to beat Nottingham Forest. They were 2-0 up, and then they threw it away. You were unfortunate against Arsenal. It was 1-1. The Rice goal shouldn't have counted. But they might still have won the game anyway. Brighton completely outplayed you. You beat Burnley 1-0. Well done. Lost at home to Palace. Got very, very lucky against Brentford. Should have lost that game. You did beat Sheffield United 2-1. You got spanked by City. You were very fortunate to beat Fulham. That should have been a draw. So, you've won six games in the league. Four of them, you didn't deserve to win. And of the other two, they're two newly promoted teams. And one of them you needed a, an absolute worldie from Diogo Delo to win the game. 
How often is he going to score? Once a season? Twice a season? If even? Like he doesn't score most years. He got two last year. Zero the year before. Two the year before that on loan. One the year before that. And none the year before that. He's not exactly um, a great attacking fullback. I do like him as a player, but he's not a great attacking fullback who's going to get you five to eight goals a season. You've been very, very lucky to have your six wins. You probably should only have two. In the EFL Cup, congrats, you beat the the Crystal Palace reserves. Well done. And then you got spanked by the Newcastle reserves. In the Champions League, you lost 4-3 to Bayern. It should have been about 6-1. You lost 3-2 to uh, Galatasaray. That was a fair result. You beat Copenhagen 1-0. You should have lost that game. And you were a little bit unfortunate with the Rashford red card in this one, but you were 2-0 up when it happened. You still should have won the game. So you've no excuse there. You could easily have lost all four games. So that's five of your five of your eight wins this season have been very fortunate. And only one of your defeats has been actually unfortunate. So you've had the rub of the green. You've had good luck go your way. And by the way, can United fans calm down a little bit on Hoysland's dominating the Champions League? He's scoring tap-ins. He's scoring tap-ins and you're still losing games. He's You've lost every game he's scored in. You've lost every game he's scored in this season. All three of them. We'll do the gossip. We'll go to break and then we'll come back with questions. Uh, Eberichi Ezi is close to a new £100,000 a week contract at Crystal Palace after agreeing a deal in principle. I do like that. Bayer Leverkusen insists Florian Wirtz will not leave the club in January with... Managing Director Simon Rolfs denying Liverpool have already made an £85 million bid. Uh, no one expected them to leave in January, to be truthful. Jaden Sancho is expected to leave Manchester United in January, according to my friend the spoofer. Newcastle boss Eddie Howe is keen to boost his midfield options in the January transfer window with Calvin Phillips and Ruben Neves fitting the bill. Um, it looks like the Premier League are going to ban any possibility of a, a loan for Neves because of the uh, connections between the Saudi Pro League and Newcastle. And and not only them, but other clubs with kind of multi-ownership stuff going on. Uh, Chelsea and Liverpool are interested in signing Real Betis's six, 18-year-old Spanish forward, Asana Diao, in January. That's one that's been going around. Mikel Arteta will look to sell four players in January to raise the funds needed to sign Ivan Tony. The players they've listed are Ramsdale, Enketia, Partey, and Smith Rowe. First things first, you're not going to sell them all in January. You won't have time. Secondly, you can't actually afford to sell them all because if you sell Ramsdale and Raya gets hurt, then what do you do in goal? If you sell Partey, your midfield is going to be weaker. I know Jorginho starting at the moment. Partey comes in for him once he's fit. Partey is simply a much, much better player than Jorginho and makes Arsenal a better team. He is by far their best number six. So if Jorginho were to get injured, Rice would have to go back to the six where he's not nearly as good. 
So it would weaken you in the six. It would also massively weaken you in the number eight position because whoever you bring in for Declan Rice in the number eight position is not going to be nearly as good. The best option at your club right now is probably Emile Smith-Rowe, who's much more attacking, obviously, but he's probably the best option. And he's also been listed for sale. I don't believe the story at all, to be honest. Manchester United will be limited to low-cost or loan deals in January amid ongoing uncertainty over their ownership. Um, they spent $420 million. Listen, there's, there's no tears to be shed for Eric Ten Hag if he has to do a few loan deals. Real Madrid do not plan to sign Kylian Mbappe, even if he decides not to extend his contract with PSG. I don't believe that story, not even for a second. Tottenham are interested in re-signing Marcus Edwards, who came through their academy and now plays for Sporting Lisbon. But Chelsea are also interested. If he has any sense, he'll run a mile from Chelsea. I think he could do quite well at Spurs, but he doesn't start for them. He's a very good player. He doesn't start for them, though. Uh, Hernan Crespo is set to become the new head coach of United Arab Emirates Pro League side Al Ain. I probably said that wrong. Um, seems like he was appointed today. Hmm. He obviously managed Al Duhal in Qatar most recently. Uh, he was there for 18 months. Left by mutual consent. Seems to have done fairly well. 135 of 52 games. 67.3% win, win rate. Um, won the league. Won the Stars Cup and the Normal Cup. So yeah, did very well. Seems like he just wanted to do something else when he decided to leave uh, last month. Sao Paulo was a failure, but he did really well with Defensa. Didn't do well with, with Banfield, it must be said. I quite like Crespo as a manager. I loved him as a player. He's so good for Parma and then Lazio. Chelsea move was a disaster, but he did really well for Milan when he went there on loan. Had a good season with Inter. Played a bit too long. He hung on a bit too long at the end. And um, I think a lot of people only have memories of late era Crespo. Crespo. But the Crespo for River Plate, Parma and Lazio was outstanding. Really, really outstanding. Um, Bayern Munich will rival Arsenal in their pursuit of 24-year-old Spanish midfielder Martin Zubimendi from Real Sociedad. He's really good. But he's been kind of clear that he doesn't really want to leave Spain. So we'll see. Barcelona are sticking behind their manager, Xavi, despite the club's recent dip in form. Um, they're third in La Liga. They've lost one of their last five. They've won three of them. Girona are top, which is just magnificent after, 10, after 12 games. Absolutely magnificent. Now, Atleti can go third if they win their game in hand, but Atleti were upset at the weekend, uh, losing to Las Palmas, which was a a big blow because if they'd won that game, their game in hand would have potentially put them top. Instead, it puts them third. Um, I'm not really sure why Xavi would be under huge pressure. I mean, they lost to Shakhtar, obviously. They beat Real Sociedad. They lost to Real. They beat Shakhtar. Beat 
Athletic Club, drew with Granada away, not great, but beat Porto, beat Sevilla, drew at Mallorca, beat Celta Vigo, hammered Antwerp, hammered Betis, beat Osasuna, beat Villarreal. I mean, they say dip in form. They've lost, they've lost two games, um, one to Real Madrid and. Yeah, the Shakhtar one is disappointing, but that just seems like utter nonsense. That's just somebody trying to fill column inches, I think. It's ESPN. Um, amid calls for manager change. Who's calling for a manager change, genuinely? Oh, I'm sorry, they, they did lose. No, they didn't. They needed an added time winner to beat Real Sausage. So they beat them then. Because it doesn't matter if you score in the first minute or the last. If you win the game, you win the game. Oh, nonsense. So they lost two games and ESPN had decided to make up the idea that he should go. Only two goals scored in their last three games. And? And what? Like, it's not like they're struggling to score goals. They've got 24 goals in 12 league matches. That's more than Real Madrid. The issue for them this season is they're not as good defensively as they were last year. Uh, last bit then. Casemiro is a January target for the Saudi Pro League. Um, <clears throat> if you've watched Casemiro play this season, you'll definitely be of the opinion this time for that dude to start learning some Arabic because uh, father time is on his way and the Premier League isn't for him anymore. We will be back after this with the listeners' questions. If we have any, I don't know that we have any. If we only have one or two, it'll just be one or two. If we've got five, it'll be five. So we'll see. I haven't even checked yet. Speak to you soon. Right. Welcome back. So before we go any further, um, Dale Johnston, who everybody knows Dale works for ESPN. Uh, Mr. Johnston has put out his latest, <clears throat> where it seems that the Premier League's independent key match incidents panel has ruled the referee and the VAR were correct to award Newcastle's winning goal against Arsenal, but that the officials missed two red cards. So... The first red card is the Kai Havertz horrendous lunge um, in on Sean, Sean Longstaff, which absolutely should have been a straight red. And then there's the Bruno Gamerish, which I'd forgotten about when talking with the game the other day, where he kind of throws his, almost his elbow, into the head of Jorginho. Um, the panel was split three to two on that one. But three people believed that they should have intervened and that should have been a red card. In the Wolves-Sheffield United game, the panel have viewed that the last-minute penalty should not have been given. I disagree, and I disagreed with them on the uh, one against Newcastle as well. I thought they were both penalties. All other VAR decisions, including those in the Tottenham versus Chelsea game, were assessed as being correct. However, the panel 
felt Destiny Adoid, you should have received a red card from the referee for his first half challenge on Raheem Sterling, but it wasn't deemed a clear and obvious error. Well, that's nonsense. It was a blatant red card. So was the Romero kick on uh, Colwell. So at this panel, I think, must just smoke copious amounts of weed and then make these decisions. The panel's findings seen by ESPN on a four-to-one vote that although Jolington does have his hands on Gabrielle, there isn't enough to award a foul as Gabrielle has made an action to play the ball before any contact. What? Oh, my God. Jolington literally jumps into his back, pushes his head down. It's as blatant a foul as you'll see. I'd forgotten the Gamera Shred card, though. Yeah, to be fair, Arsenal can feel themselves a little bit aggrieved on that one. Uh, right, questions time. So, uh, we've got three. One in three parts, one in two parts, and one that's just a one-off. So, we'll go with the one-off, which is from Matt JT. Based on the form of players, injuries, the holes in the squad, and the formation tactical setup and how the players have been used, do you think Liverpool is underachieving, overachieving, or achieving where they should be so far this season? I think they're exactly where they should be. I think they're exactly where they should be. Liverpool are, are lacking a defensive midfielder, and they need to upgrade at left-back. They also have no real cover at right-back, other than Joe Gomez being put out of position to play there. So with those things considered, and the lack of real quality wing depth, because both Gakpo and Jota are both better through the middle, both Gakpo and Jota are both better through the middle. Yeah, yeah. Gakpo and Jota are both better through the middle. Um, I, I feel like Liverpool have four holes in the squad, two in the starting eleven, two in terms of depth. I'd like another centre back as well, but I'm just greedy, and I, I feel like they're exactly where they should be right now. Third in the league, progressing well in Europe, progressing in the League Cup. Like Leicester and Bournemouth are teams they should be beating. This is a league, uh, a Europa League group that they should top. If I look at their Premier League fixtures to date, not not mad about a draw away to Chelsea in the grand scheme of things. Now it looks bad because Chelsea are dreadful, but in the grand scheme of things, I'm not overly upset about. I think the win away to Newcastle is a good win. That that's a team that will be in the European spots this season. Uh, obviously a Champions League team based off last season. So that's a good win. Obviously the win at home to Bournemouth is a win they should get. I think the win at home to Villa was a good win. And I think based on the result and the performance, it's actually a great win. It's, these, it's Liverpool's best performance of the season. Uh, the win away to Wolves. Wolves are a team they should be beating. The win at home to West Ham, I think it's a good win. I think I know West Ham are in poor form at the moment, but they're playing well at that point. I'm not. I know the result, the the, the manner of the defeat away to Spurs with what happened with the officials made it very, very frustrating. But I'm not overly annoyed by it because Spurs are a really good team. I think they're a top four team this year, so I I don't mind losing away to them. The draw away to Brighton, I, I don't have an issue with. Brighton, I think, are, are going to be in the mix for Europe again this season. Everton and Forest are teams they should be beating. 
at home. They should beat them away as well, but they should be beating them at home. The only result I would look at and say that's a disappointment or that's an overachievement is that Luton game. That's a disappointment. That's a, that's a really, really disappointing result. Like the win up at Newcastle, I said it's a good win and it is. It's, I don't think it's an overachievement though because Liverpool have beaten Newcastle multiple times, including last season they beat them up there. Like again, Villa, good win, but Liverpool have beaten Villa before. They've beaten West Ham. Like I'm not surprised by those results. The only result that kind of stands out to me in either direction is that Luton one. I think that's a poor result. That's the one where I'd look at and say, yeah, you've underachieved in that game. But all the rest of them, I'm pretty okay with. I'm pretty okay with that. And again, League Cup, you should beat Leicester, you should beat Bournemouth. Europa League, you should beat Last, you should beat Union, you should beat Toulouse. I think they're exactly where they should be. I really do. If they had a top-end defensive midfielder and an upgrade at left-back, then the Spurs defeat and the Brighton draw might stand out to me as things that would bother me. But again, if it was a draw at Spurs and a win at Brighton, then with that improved team, I would say, right, well, that's about what I expect. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think they're exactly where they should be. This is year one. This is a transition season. Last season was not a transition season. That was just something people who were really, really silly made up to cover the fact that last season was a disgrace. That last season was a result of Jürgen's negligence in the summer of 2022. The arrogance to believe that that squad could go again, despite the clear issues in midfield. The refusal to address the problems that were in the squad. Last season, going into it, all the noise was Liverpool will be right in the mix for the major honours. No glaring gaps to fill and all that good stuff. There was glaring gaps to fill. Everyone could see it. And you had Jürgen sitting there guffawing away about telling me what type of midfielder that we need. And then people were acting like it was a surprise that Jordan Henderson was crap, despite the fact he'd been crap the previous two seasons. They were surprised that Fabinho was struggling physically, despite the fact that at the end of the previous season, he was struggling physically. They were surprised by Andy Robertson's lack of form, despite the fact that he was poor to end the previous season. The same for Joel Matip. They acted like it was a surprise that Joe Gomez was struggling. He'd just come back from a torn patella tendon. They acted like injuries to Thiago and Naby Keita and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain couldn't have been predicted. They'd all been injured a whole bunch before. They acted like there was some surprise in Bobby Firmino's decline. He declined the year before that. There was no surprise last year. How bad they were maybe was a little bit of a surprise, but there was no surprise that they struggled last season. Last season was never a season of transition. Last season was a season of failure. This is a season of transition because there's an actual plan in place now. Uh, So, yeah, I I think they're where they should be. Uh, LFC Station, two questions for the pod. If Mbappe did sign for Al-Halil, Al-Halal rather, uh, do you think it could have been a transfer that would have ruined football whereby football would have needed an immediate major reset? What do you think would have been the result of the transfer in the short and long term 
To be honest, I actually don't think it would have made a huge difference because when the Neymar transfer to PSG happened, with the money that was involved and the fact that he walked out on Barcelona and his place as one of three members of the best front line that anyone had ever seen and went to basically a semi-retirement league, people thought, well, that's it. That's that's This is going to change things, and it, and it didn't. I think if Mbappe had gone to Al Hilal, it would have only ever been for one year. I don't think it would. I think people would have just. I think it would have hurt his legacy more than anything else. I, I think that would have been what it really did. It would have tarnished his legacy to go there in his prime just for money. I think that would have been the big, the big news out of that because. Like, he wasn't going to go there and spend the rest of his career there. We've seen them this past summer spend obscene money on, you know, Neymar, for example. We see them pay ridiculous money to Cristiano and to many others who don't warrant that type of money for the production. And the league certainly isn't getting value for that money when you see 800 people at certain games. There's no real interest in... I mean, let's have a look at how that league is going. I I just glance at the table every so often to see uh, how poorly Aletifak are doing because it gives me joy. And the other thing I do is I'll watch a game if the the big teams are playing each other. And, it you know, if, if I'm not doing anything else, I'll, I'll sit and I'll watch that. So, uh, league table... Al-Halal are top on 32 points, unbeaten. Al-Nazir are second, uh, 28 points, four points behind Al-Halal. Al-Tawun, Tawun, Al-Tawun, they're the surprise package. They're in third place, 25 points. Um, Don't know the guy that's managing them. Let's see who they have in the squad. Yeah, wouldn't be wouldn't Musa Barrow. Musa Barrow's in their squad. Now he's a super exciting player. Uh Gambian International was at Bologna. Really surprised he he made that move. Really surprised. But other than him, you know, Alvaro Madran, not really a surprise. You know, he'd been in in the MLS before that. Uh, Mateus Castro. There's no one else there who's really jumping out at me as a a top-end player or someone that I should be overly familiar with. So they're doing very well. Then it's Al Ali, they're also on 25. Then Al Fateh, 23 points. Al Ihahad are the biggest underachievers of the, the big four. Obviously, they signed Fabinho, Kante, Benzema. They should be a lot better than what they are. Um the Jota thing remains one of the weirdest things going. 
they spent a fortune to buy him twenty five million and haven't registered him to play in the league. He played a handful of games and now he's just not even getting he was unregistered then and he's not even getting a a look in. Um Aletifak are seventh. But I mean no one's watching these games. Like there's just there isn't there isn't the interest in them. Um Mitrovic is playing well. Cristiano has twelve goals against plumbers. Taliska is playing well. Musa Dembele is playing well. Aside from that, I mean, a lot of disappointment so far with a lot of these players. So the average attendance per week, 6,500, 13,500, under 9, under 8.5, Six and a half, seven, seven and a half, under six and a half, eleven and a half, eight and a half, nine, and well under nine. Um, I suppose it, if there's a big game between one of the big four clubs, then there's probably a little bit of interest. But for now, there just isn't. Like, there just isn't the interest. It's not a surprise that Al Halal are top when you look at, you know, Malcolm in. Now, Neymar, they bought him, he got injured. Uh, Bono, Neves, Koulibaly, Milinkovic, Savage, and Mitrovic. I mean, they definitely had the the splashiest window. Uh, Al Ali, Mares, Firmino, Ibanez, Kessie, Mendy, Mary Demerel, Gabriel Viega, Alan St. Maximum. That's a, that's a strong window. So again, not not a huge surprise that they're kind of in that upper echelon. They'll they'll get top three. Um and then Al Nazir is, is Cristiano's team. They've got Taliska, they've got Alex Tellez, Brozovic, Seiko Fafana, Otavio, Mane, and Americ Laporte. Uh David Espina is also there, but he's unregistered. Yeah, like I, 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 I don't think Mbappe, Mbappe going there might have brought a few more eyes to it, but it would have been a waste of everybody's time and money. It would have just been a flex and nothing more than a flex by the Saudi Pro League if that had happened. Um, second part, I'm not too familiar with how the youth setup, youth system is set up in the United States. But I read somewhere that in the USA, you have to pay for your kids to be in an academy. Is this the reason why the national team haven't produced enough good players? It's part of it. So from what I can make out, these are private academies that basically kind of run like the AAU teams in basketball, where you're not necessarily affiliated with a professional club. And you're there. It's you know basically like private tuition type of thing. As it, like same thing in England where people get those private one-to-one sessions or with, with personal trainers. And in football, we often see young kids and their parents been taken advantage of by certain coaches who aren't good enough to get a job in an academy, but will charge a hundred quid an hour 
for one one to one skills coaching. Um, this is that on a bigger scale. Now, if they can get into a real academy connected to one of the clubs, that's generally not something that they have to pay for because the clubs then have a vested interest. MLS just doesn't put enough money into the grassroots. Ideally, MLS and the U.S. men's national team and the U.S. women's national team and the women's league should all be coming together and pooling the resources and building like super academies in every state. Not not every state, because you don't want to put one in Wyoming or somewhere, though there might be one or two players that you might find in Wyoming. So you could maybe put like a little satellite camp there that attracts the best young players and maybe then you can move them to a neighboring state where they might be able to play. But they should be like, you know, like Claire Fontaine or what's the one in England that used to be around? I can't think. Jamie Carragher was there. That'll annoy the life out of me if I don't remember now. So hang on, let me just check. Jamie Carragher. I know there's definitely someone, at least one person screaming at me. Lillishaw. Lillishaw is is the um, academy in England where certain age groups of young English players would go and would get them. It was a school of excellence. And Clairefontaine is exactly the same idea. The US really should invest in like 20 of them around the country and really look to scour the entire country for the best young talents and get them before they commit to baseball or American football or basketball or hockey or whatever else it is that they might do. Uh, maybe, you know, a bit, a little bit of lacrosse or something. Lacrosse players, size-wise, are probably about the best fit. Uh, them and ice hockey players. Um Baseball players, maybe, but American football players, a lot of them are massive, even just height-wise. And obviously basketball players, a lot of them are too tall to really play football. But this is what they should do. And and this is how America could become a really dominant force because the talent pool is unbelievable. Because it's not just American talent there. You've got floods of people that move to America every year from countries with real football traditions. And you might just be able to start bringing the bloodlines in and, uh, and increasing your talent pool. And they, what, what the, what fo- football or soccer as it is in America, what they need to do is hire me and let me run the show. Give me, just give me a, a big bag of money and I'll just make the decisions for you. And then a little bag of money that's directly for me, but a big bag of money to spend on all the different things they need to do, including hiring a better coach for the national team. This is why I said I would I would appoint, if I was them, I would go to Guardiola with the biggest bag of money you could ever find and say, look, this is for you. You come over here and you completely structure our game from the ground all the way up. You pick the coaches for the national team at every age level, including senior. You don't have to do that. You don't have to manage them yourself. You set the curriculum for what our academies should be teaching these kids. 
Wenger would have been my choice five years ago. At this point, I think Wenger's probably a little bit long in the tooth, but Pep, I'll just offer him like, I don't know, 20 million a year to do that for five years. I think he'd take it. He loves America, loves living there. His, his family still live there um, for the most part. They're not in Manchester. So if I was the running it was football in America, that's what I'd do. I'd go and get him and let him make the decisions. Um, so hire me and I'll hire Pep. And then everybody can get paid. Um, AMK2889. Similar question to last week, but this time with Chelsea. First and 11 consisting of players who were brought in before Roman's takeover. Second 11 of players who were brought in during Roman's reign. And finally, an 11 of youth players that were shown the exit door before being given the proper chance. Finally, which of these teams do you like to manage the most? Right. So I actually saw this uh, during the break and I've written down what my pre-Roman team would be. Now, the only the only spot I'm not hugely happy with is goalkeeper. But I've gone with Carlo Cudicini because, and I've tried to just stick to like the 90s and early 2000s. Uh, the pre-Roman early 2000s. So I've gone with Carlo Cudicini in goal. The only other options were Ed DeHoy and Dimitri Karin and Mark Bosnich, who was on cocaine. So we're not going to pick any of them. Although I, d- I didn't mind Ed DeHoy. Ed DeHoy was a was a decent goalkeeper, to his credit. Um, and he had some good seasons at Chelsea. But I'll go with, I'll go with Carlo Cudicini. Uh, in defence, I've gone Dan Petrescu at right back. I've talked with him a bunch of O's like Dan Petrescu. At left back, we've gone Graham Lasso, one of the best fullbacks from the early years of the Premier League. Uh, Chelsea, Blackburn, Chelsea again, then Southampton, and then he retired. Uh, Lasso was just always a good player. Even to this day, even though I know he came through the Chelsea Academy because Chelsea went to Jersey where he's from and found him playing there and brought him over. There's part of my brain that still thinks he came through the Southampton Academy. And when I start listing Southampton Academy players, there is a good chance at some point I'll mention him. And he didn't move there till he was 35 years of age. Um, but yeah, Graham Lasso would be would be one. Chelsea, Blackburn, back to Chelsea. Very, very good player. Uh, in the centre of my defence, we're going John Terry, who obviously came through their academy pre-Roman. And next to him, we're going to have Frank LaBeouf, who, for me, one of the most underrated centre-backs in Premier League history. Now, I understand why people don't always think of him when they talk about the great Premier League centre-backs, but he was so different when he arrived. He was a real kind of ball. He was a real ball-playing centre-back. He first came in to play as a sweeper, and he was brilliant with two centre-backs in front of him. And then, as he aged a little bit, started to play more as an actual centre-back, and he was great for Chelsea for his five years there. Won two FA Cups, won a League Cup, a Cup Winners' Cup, and a Super Cup. 
So Frank LeBeouf always going to be there. Was obviously part of the French team that won the World Cup in 1998. Came in and played in the final because Laurent Blanc was suspended. Was part of the team that won the Euros in 2000. Very, very underrated. And I love the fact that his initial song was, he's here, he's there, he's every fucking where. Frank LaBeouf, Frank LaBeouf. He asked them not to swear because there was kids at games. So it became, he's here, he's there. He said we shouldn't swear, Frank LaBeouf. Uh, so he's in. Um, Petrescu, Terry, LaBeouf, Lasso, right to left. In midfield, we've gone for Frank Lampard, who arrived pre-Roman. Uh, Marcel Desailly, we're going to play him as the defensive midfielder, even though he did largely play as a centre-back for Chelsea. We're going to put him in as a defensive midfielder. And my third midfielder came down to a, a literal a literal coin toss uh, between Emmanuel Petit and Roberto Di Matteo. I've gone for Emmanuel Petit. I just think he was a better player overall. Now, at Chelsea, you could definitely make a case for Di Matteo. But I, I've always liked um, Emmanuel Petit. Ruud Hullet in the number 10 spot, even though by that point in his career, when he was at Chelsea, he was much more of a deep player and he played sweeper for a while. But it's Ruud Hullet and I'm putting him as a number 10. And then up front, I've gone for Viali. A little bit past his best, but still very good for them. And Gianfranco Zola, who's the best player Chelsea ever had, in my view. And I will still stand by that to this day. Uh, Gianfranco Zola is the best player to ever play for that club. So that's my eleven. Cudicini, Petrescu, Terry, LeBeouf, Lasseau, Petit, Desailly, Lampard, Hullet, Viali and Zola. And I've gone with, with three kind of worth a mention. One is Di Matteo. One is Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, who I always liked. Um, didn't know how to smile, it seemed, during his career. But he was a goal machine for Chelsea for the first few years he was there. Started to tail off then, ended up at Borough, went to Charlton, went to uh, Cardiff and then retired. He's obviously become a manager. And then the last one is William Gallas, who... It's only really because his... Now, I suppose you could say the same for John Terry, but Gallas didn't really... Gallas' best moments in the league came after Roman came in. He had a decent second season, an iffy first season, a decent second season, and then he was really good from there on, and then obviously was very good at Arsenal and decent at Spurs. But yeah, William Gallas, I've just got him as an also run. Um, so yeah, that is my pre-Roman team. Uh, in terms of Roman era... It's going to be Petr Cech in goal. Carvalho will be in. Um, I'm going to go Makaleli at the base of midfield. Essien has to be in. Ashley Cole will be left back. Got to put Kante, don't I? Could I go with 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 Sesk in the deepest role over Makaleli? Because if I've got Essien and Kante, I don't really need Makaleli. I think I'm going to do that. 
So we're going to go Sesk, but with a with a doff of the cap to Cla- to Claude. Uh, we're going to play Eden Hazard as a ten. Drogba will be up front. We'll come back to the other Ford. In defence. I mean, Reese James, he wasn't, he was brought in from the academy. So I think Reese James is good to go in at right back. Because I, I don't like Basingwa. I wasn't a fan of Ferrara. So I think Reese James. The other centre back, though. I mean, Gary Cahill? Not for me. Aspie has to be in this team. Do you know what? I'll I'll leave James out because because he's from the academy, he might not count. So we'll go Aspie at right back. The other centre-back. I'm going to put Ivanovic in at centre-back next to Carvalho. Because Ivanovic was brilliant. And if, if it wasn't for Ashley Cole, I'd have Ivanovic right back and Aspie left back. Because when they had those two, that defence was just... It was just so hard to break down. But we'll go Aspie, Carvalho, Ivanovic and Cole in front of Petacek. Sesk in a deep-line playmaker role. Essien, Kante, Hazard. And then Drogba and one more up front. Hmm. A lot of flops. A lot of flops. Costa? I mean, Costa and Drogba is not a pairing you want to put together. Um, Murata flopped. So can't be him. Somehow they didn't lose money on that deal, which remains an enormous mystery to me. Second forward. I'm inclined to go with, like, Willian or Pedro. Not Torres, he flopped. Not Shevchenko, he flopped. Diego Costa is the answer here. Like he just is. After after Drogba, he's the second best forward that they've had. And he was at the club, what, three years and won two league titles? Yeah, we've got to go Diego Costa. At least the centre-backs are going to be kept busy. And to be fair, at least Drogba can hand off some of the the dirty work to Costa. So yeah, we'll go Czech, Aspi, Carvalho, Ivanovic, Cole, Sesk, Sien, Kante, Hazard, Drogba, and Costa. If I'm not allowed to have Academy players, then John Terry can't be in the previous team. Lasso can, because even though he came through the Academy, he left and they bought him back. 
Um, if I can't have Terry, I would say... I would say I'll move Desai to centre-back and just bring Di Matteo into midfield. Um, in terms of the academy, players that came through the academy and didn't get opportunities. Now, I'm going to include someone who's just left this past summer in Mason Mount because, well, no, I suppose I can't really, can I? He has been forced out of the club. Um We'll start off at centre-back, which is just easy. It's going to be Tamore and Mark Gwehi. The goalkeeper's going to have to be Neil Etheridge because there isn't another decent option. Uh, Tino Livermento will be right back. Tariq Lamptey seems an obvious choice at left-back, but I'm actually going to go for Nathan Aki, who they brought in, didn't give opportunities to, and out he was pushed. So, Livermento, Tamori, Gwehi, and Aki. I really, actually really like that back four. Um, midfield. I mean, Declan Rice, does he count? Because he was in their academy. They let him go. So I'm going to include Declan Rice. Um, the other midfielders... I mean, Nathaniel Chalaba is definitely one that I think is worth mention. Josh McEachran, he didn't quite, he just didn't make the grade, unfortunately. Um, We'll have Lewis Hall in midfield as well. I'm inclined to go with Nathaniel Chalaba. Though, do you know what I'm actually going to do? He's still there, but he hasn't been given opportunities under this manager and really and truly hasn't been given enough opportunities in total. I think Trevor Chalaba has to be in. So I'm going to put him. I'm just going to put Chalaba as my holding midfielder. And if it's not Nathaniel, if it's not Trevor, if he's ruled out, uh, we'll take Nathaniel, who's still a decent player, uh, playing for West Brom now. And I believe has started the season playing pretty well after leaving Fulham. So I'm going to go with him. I'm going to go with either Chalaba. Um, that gives me a midfield three. Now I need a front three. The number nine is going to be Tammy. Without doubt. Um, the other... Ruben Loftus-Cheek is very unfortunate here. Ruben Loftus-Cheek might get in. We'll wait and see. Bertrand Traore, no... Jeremy Boga is a very big possibility. So's Callum Hudson a doy. Musiala, I'm not going to include because he chose to leave and go to Bayern. Chelsea wanted to keep him. 
I'm also not going to include Michael Elise because he chose to leave. Uh, Billy Gilmore is unfortunate to miss out in midfield. Um, I mean, Chris Meffin was in their academy. Do you know what? I'll just go... I'll go Boga... as a second striker type, and I'm going to put Loftus-Cheek. So I think with hudson Adoy, it was more down to the injuries and the lack of form. I think he got opportunities and then didn't take them, and then I think there was probably some other off-field stuff. Uh, Doff of the cap to Tariq Lamptey, to hudson Adoy, obviously, to Billy Gilmore, Bertrand Traore, Josh McEachran, Dom Solanke. I assume Armando Brogia will become eligible for this team at some point. Um, I I would include Mason Mount because I don't really understand why they bought so many midfielders when they had a really good one in him. Now, obviously, you need to buy midfielders. Shouldn't have bought no midfielders, but... I don't think they needed to buy as many as they did, but um, yeah, Etheridge, Livermento, Tamori, Guehi, Aki, Paul, Chalaba, Rice, Loftus Cheek, so a, a diamond midfield, um, Tammy and Boga. So we've basically gone kind of diamond, four diamond two on all teams. Uh, Desai holding for the older team. Petit and Lampard box to box hold as the as the ten. Uh, Sesk, Deepest, Essien and Kante box to box, box and Hazard as the ten. And then in this one um, we've got Chalaba, Deepest, Rice and Hall box to box and Loftus-Cheek as the ten. Uh, which would I like to manage most? The team with Roman's money. They're definitely the team with Roman's money. Even though the centre-backs aren't... I mean, Carvalho is incredible, but Ivanovic was better at right-back than centre-back. Uh, Roman would have enough money to, you know, cover the cost of another centre-back. And that's it. That's all we have today, folks. So I will see you all tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.